The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. I think we have a quorum. <laughs> so, um, I would like you to do an exercise now to explore this topic of equanimity, but in a, a personal way, in ways that explore, to discover for yourself where it might be useful or to bring more equanimity in your life. And, um, you know, the theme is the Brahma Vihara equanimity, which is equanimity in our relationship to other people. So you might want to limit it to that if you'd like, but you can also be other areas. I'm, I'm not, it's fine to open it up. And um, so the question is, um, for you to address, is, uh, um, is to consider what areas of your life, where in your life, could you be more equanimous? So, so not, not so. It, um, so the the, the 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 expression "could" is an interesting, right? 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 Like, where could you stretch yourself? You know, you know. We're not. We're not. In, I'm not interested in places where you can no way be equanimous, and I'm not interested in those areas where you're already completely placid and cool with it. You can do that just fine. But that in-between place, the places where you're not equanimous now, but you know, actually you could. you could. You could probably stretch yourself. It might take a little work. It might take a while. But you could imagine yourself kind of entering into that world and finding your way to be more equanimous. So the question is, um, um, where in your life could you be more equanimous? Okay, that's the question. I'll repeat it again a little bit. But So this is the way I'd like you to do the exercise is to pair up with someone else and then do an exercise, a form of exercise called repeating questions. So for the first half, one of you asks the question and the other one answers. And so the first one will say, where in your life could you be more equanimous? And then the person who answers um, says something. It could be brief, it could be a little bit longer, and might be more useful. It might be not so useful just to say, at home, <laughs> at work. <laughs> you know, I don't think that that's really going to help you much. You know, so just say, say something a little bit. Fill in, fill in a little bit. You know, uh, explain a little bit more, and uh, but don't give a long dissertation. You know, but keep it relatively short, and then when you finished, then the questioner says. Thank you. That's a very important part of the role. And then the questioner asks the question again. Where in your life could you be more equanimous? And you re- reply, thank you. Where in your life could you be more equanimous? Could you cultivate equanimity? And you continue back and forth, back and forth. The questioner only, that's all the questioner does is ask the question and say thank you. And maybe pause after the thank you for a moment. Make some space. And part of the way this kind of exercise works is that some of the obvious responses that your mind's going to produce will come relatively quickly, usually. And once you've kind of gone through kind of your obvious repertoire, 
then something will, hopefully something will start <laughs> happening in your mind where you begin stretching. And, or every time you're asked a question, it kind of prompts your mind to think anew in a new way, to consider it in a new way. or to something You, you might be surprised by what comes up. Oh, I never thought about that. And so you might, so the idea is to stretch and, and this process of discovery. And it's really meant for you who's answering the question to discover something new. So if you find yourself telling a long story in response to the question, well, you know the story all too well and the conclusion. You know, it's not, you, you're, not te- you're not, you're not informing your questioner. This is a very different kind of way of conversing in a social conversation where you're ideally, you know, you know, taking the other person into account. You're not answering the question for the sake of the questioner. You're answering the question for your own sake to explore. And in fact, what some people will do is they'll actually keep their, uh, the, as, the, as the responder, they'll keep their eyes closed so they don't get pulled into the social world. What do they think of me? And things like that. And just see what comes up. But you don't have to keep your eyes closed. You can do it in every way. And the role of the questioner is to stay present. And if the responder keeps their eyes closed, don't you close your eyes. <laughs> because, because, because you should be connected. You stay, your job is to stay connected, stay present, be a witness, and be there. So we'll do that for a while, uh, probably about seven or so, eight minutes, and then I'll ring a bell, stop, and pause, and then you'll switch roles. And um, and uh, so. And when, you know, you don't have to, whatever, you know, when the person asks a question and you don't have to, this is not confession, you don't have to say something you don't want to, you don't have to say something you don't want to share. You're welcome to censor yourself. I don't want to share that with someone. Um, but uh, so that, please feel that's fine to do. And, um, and then we'll see where this goes. Okay. So why don't you? Also, good, good to spread out a little bit because so you don't want to sit too close to someone else. So they're getting ready to change the roles, and then you can open your eyes, and now you can switch roles. hear a little bit from you what that was like. So who would like to share a little bit? You know, I wasn't privy, privy to any of them, so I don't know what happened. So what happened there for you? There was certainly lots of energy. Um, I found myself wanting to really brag about the things that I've gotten some equanimity around. <laughs> so I looked really good. And and I believe you said not to go for the one that you know you're not, you know, it's like... Right. Impossible. So, but I, but I kind of edged around it like I could, you know... Start to look at it. Ah, that's good. So that's good. That's good. Yeah. I like that. Okay. 
I, uh, when, can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. When uh, you gave us this assignment, what immediately popped into my head, when you said seven or eight minutes, I went, okay, we've done this in the last, not maybe this wording, but we have done this in the last eight months once where we didn't, where we, one person spoke. And I went, okay, I know this isn't easy. Take it slow. (laughs) And um, I became aware that, I mean, my first reaction is, you know, react to my husband, okay. <laughs> but after that, I re- began to realize, oh, there are other people in my life that I could uh, work at being more equi- equanimous. equanimous with. And then it popped into me that, and things, I could be equ- more equanimous with being on a diet. I'm always off balance on on the diet. Uh-huh. So I became aware that it's not just people mm-hmm. that I can be great wonderful with. Wonderful. The um the way this design this uh, repeating question exercise is designed, you're supposed to actually go on for fifteen minutes. <laughs> and uh, because you really want to kind of go into the territory where you're least familiar and kind of see where you can go take it. But somehow I felt, given how much time we have and, and your familiarity with this, I thought this, you know, half the time was probably more appropriate. I, I kind of laughed at myself because the last thing I said is I want to be more equanimous with the fact that I can't think of anything else. <laughs> but, but what I laughed at is um, I, I had forgotten or I was reminded about how moved I am more by my internal moods and emotions. So it's a good reminder to go, it's not in always relation to someone else or something else, that you're just really, that I am personally moved a lot by my own internal emotions. So you could work on becoming more equanimous to the inside. Correct. Great. Well, first of all, I'd like to thank my uh, partner, I'm always struck by um, these repeating questions, how intimate you actually get after a while. It's just, it's, it's, um, it's a wonderful experience just all in itself. I found I started with, of course, the easy ones. I kind of burned those off pretty quickly. But it kind of went from uh, more neutrals to more close people and then ending up really with an internal dialogue about what I was noticing about myself and and equanimous with things like uh, conceit, lack of trust, uh, a number of things like that. Uh, You know, uh, anyway, it was was a wonderful experience. Great. Thank you. Behind you, up on the stage. One of the things I liked about it was that um, I realized I actually could sit there and not say anything because everything that she said, I wanted to say, oh, yeah, I felt that same way, or I wanted to nod, I wanted to say, uh-huh. And so I could just sit there, and I think that will be uh, powerful when I'm trying to do it with someone else. And and I'm feeling like getting dragged into their whole discourse and and just to be able to sit with me and it, I think I'll feel more confident being able to do that. Great. Wonderful. Thank you.
Hi. I felt that um, the time allocated was not enough, at least for me, to really dig in. Um, but because I was the receiver first, it actually, uh, my mind was running in different directions, of course, listening, but then I realized when my partner talked about herself that that's actually the first thing that I should be talk, talking uh, back to her uh, because that, that's the key with everything else. Um, how I take things, whether it's person X or person Y or an event or um, some broader social idea, and whatever. So I need to find it first within myself. In yourself, yeah. So even, yeah. even with something as, un, you know, that the exercise wasn't long enough to even be equanimous with that. So, th- so that's the key, yeah, yeah. for me. Yeah, Isn't that very nice. One of the things that I... Um, was wanting to bring more equanimity, no, to which I was wanting to bring more equanimity, is my hearing. And I was, um, you know, uh, well, I'm losing my hearing more and more. And, I'm, and so I'm wanting to have it okay um, when I don't hear. But what I'm realizing, and what I'm realizing right now, is um, sometimes... I'm going to be more disappointed than others. And with your help on bringing in equanimity just for our own thoughts and not taking things personally, um, I, I'm just trying, I'm feeling as if I'm completing the, the wish by including uh, having it all right to be disappointed. Um, because I know that that's a, something that's going on right now and it's not necessarily going to uh, keep going and I have various choices about what to do about it. So I really appreciate that inclusion. Great. Thank you. Thank you. So we're coming to the end of uh, equanimity. <laughs> <laughs> So we should all scatter before <laughs> we get the consequences of that. You know, getting to the end of the day, and um, any any last uh, words, thoughts, questions that you, doesn't have to be any, but anything that you want to want to bring up at this point? Yes, please. Is it on now? So you spoke earlier about um, when someone asked a question about uh, spousal relationships, about having confidence and standing your ground. I wonder if you would elaborate on that, not just in that relationship, but in other difficult situations um, where you want to have equanimity and you don't have control over how the other party will be. Could you speak a little bit more about That's what equanimity is for, is when you don't have control over. <laughs> that's, the, that's the whole point. Um, I, I, I mean, it's a big topic, so I'll just say something, and hopefully it's relevant. Um, 
when we feel helpless, it's hard to be equanimous. And uh, when we feel threatened, it's hard to feel equanimous. But uh, if we understand that we are responsible for our own karma, we are responsible for the choices we make, and that those are really the ultimately consequential issues. And if we have confidence that we can take care of our own inner intentions, we have confidence that we can, we can <coughs> come from good intentions, we can avoid unskillful intentions, then you can go into any situation and you're not going to be so affected by it because uh, you, you have confidence that the real meaningful thing is going to, is, comes from inside of you, which you have some mastery over. And so even though someone's, uh, someone's, you're not in control of the person, even what they do to you, I mean, within reason, um, uh, you can just stand there and say, you know, my, my conscience is clean, I'm here, I, um, what, what you're doing can't really touch. You know, the, the, the psychological place where karma operates, no one else can touch. And if we find a home there, or find value there, and, take, and, and, and caretaking there, then we have, we have a place, a refuge, that we're not as impacted by what goes on around us. That, that was really helpful. Thank you. Okay. Um, I want to take just... Uh, this is the end of the year, of Dharma Practice Days, this series. It's a shorter series than previous years, I think. I just want to say that for next year, uh, starting, I think, in October, <coughs> I think that the start date is in October, the, the series is going to be on the Eightfold Path. And we did that only a few years ago, I think, but I'd like to do it again. It's an important one. And even if you did it before, it can still do it again. Mm-hmm. It'll be different every time. And, um, but one of the reasons I want to do, I'm doing it, is we're doing the Eightfold Path, is I'm, this time we're going to, I'm planning to have a parallel program to it, and that is a Dharma mentoring program, where uh, some of the senior practitioners here at IMC um, will be available for, um, uh, if you want to sign up for the Dharma mentoring program, for the eight, nine months, to uh, be able to meet with them uh, for an hour once a month and explore your relationship to a particular uh, factor of the Eightfold Path we're studying that month. So it's not therapy, it's not you know, counseling in the traditional way, but it's a chance to you explore you know, your understanding of right view, your relationship to it, uh, how do you jive with the Buddhist view and how it applies to your life, uh, the right view, and, you know, and clarify it. And I think you can have some really good uh, and significant conversations with someone who's been on the path much longer than you, hopefully, and, and uh, someone I have a lot of confidence in in their wisdom and their practice. And um, so you could do, the idea is you could do either program or you can do both. And I would think that doing both would get the most value, would let, uh, for, you know, for it most benefit. I think it's more than just doing, getting two things. I think it's like two times two rather than two plus, no, that doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> ten times ten instead of ten plus ten. <laughs> And um, so that's uh, what we're planning for next year. And uh, okay, and uh, <clears throat> it's the custom here that people who practice here help tend to the building. 
And if there can be seven, eight people who can help with the cleanup, uh, there's, we have seven, eight people who can help. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Great. And.